question. Uh, uh, I assume that many of you are listening and watching this evening. Uh, uh, spent some time uh, watching the Democratic convention uh, last week. Uh, I'll be at the uh, the unconventional convention. And, of course, Donald Trump is getting ready to uh, unveil uh, his plans for the Republicans uh, starting tomorrow uh, in, in four consecutive nights. So we're going to measure exactly what the Democrats tried to do last week, maybe preview a little bit what the Republicans are going to do. And then in the second hour, we've got three experts who are really going to dissect this whole issue of voting and when you can vote and when you can't vote and uh, attempts to, you know, uh, cut down on votes. I mean, it's going to be a good, uh, we've got three great experts to join us. I want to begin this evening, Derek Blakely, nice to have you with us. Uh, For almost 40 years, you've been a reporter for uh, NBC in Chicago and also CBS, and also you spent seven years on the CBS network. You recently retired, and now you're at DePaul University, so it's good to have you with us. And uh, we'll also hear from uh, Jeff Hallman in just a moment, who's a Republican operative. But when you go to a convention, and you've been to conventions, each party wants to present, obviously, their best face. They want to present a picture of their candidate that uh, nobody can pick pick on. And I think the Democrats did a pretty good job. They were very, they didn't say much about policy, but they certainly made the point that Joe Biden was a good man, a decent man. He'd been around a long time. And if you, if you missed it the first 15 times, uh, his son, Bo, died of cancer. And he made a big point of that, as well as the tragic start of his political career when uh, his wife and daughter were killed on the night that he was first elected. So there's a story of tragedy in Joe Biden's life, and a lot of people know it, uh, but they certainly hit that over and over again. But my question to you is now, as, as a reporter and looking at what we need to know, because they made such a big case about what a great guy Joe Biden was, and frankly, they wrapped himself in the Bo Biden uh, patina, if you will. Is it fair to look at Hunter Biden? Because Hunter Biden, although he had a brief role the other evening, I mean, Hunter Biden has been the newsmaker in that family, unfortunately, uh, for about a year and a half now. And uh, it's going to be a difficult thing for the Republicans to do it. But is it fair game for the reporters and journalists and, and Republicans to, to question uh, Hunter Biden and, and take, a, take a look at that narrative that's been created to the American people. Of course it's fair game. Uh, he is a member of uh, the Biden family. It's fair game if it's done fairly. <coughs> uh, let me just put that, that emphasis yeah. on it. Uh, it is not something that uh, Republicans or opponents have to ignore, but uh, you have to make sure that uh, you're doing it in a, in a fair way. In other words, that you're, it's a fact-based look at uh, Hunter Biden and his entanglements, um, which have caused some consternation and some problem mm-hmm. um, for for Joe Biden. Now that's absolutely fair. Um, you know, certainly uh, Democrats are, as things go on, are going to be looking at members of the Trump family. Yeah. So uh, as they have for four years, yeah, rightfully so. Exactly. Yeah. So no, it's it's fair. Jeff Hom, our Republican. Nice to have you with us. It's been a while since we've all been back in studio. We should mention that uh, for, for our first hour, we're all in studio looking at each other. We're more than, uh, I guess we're six feet apart. But uh, Jeff, what's your answer to that question as to uh, how we deal with this? The actual like corruption <clears throat> part, not uh, the unseemly details of Hunter Biden's life, right? So forget about the whole paternity suit forget about you know the the um uh relationship he had with with with, uh bo's wife you know and that kind of stuff like and talk about the real stuff the real corruption stuff about how he got a fifty thousand dollar a month job at barisma 
when he has absolutely uh, no expertise in uh, oil and gas, while uh, his father happened to be the vice president and was overseeing affairs for Ukraine. That's that's the story, not the other stuff. And if you focus on that instead of his his character issues, I think that that is the better way to do it. Does the news media have a responsibility to look into some of these other uh, personal related issues uh, that they would for other candidates? Derek, I don't think they have a responsibility to look into it if it goes <clears throat> beyond public policy. I don't think there's any great responsibility. And after all, he's not on the ballot. I mean, you're not voting for him. Um, you so can let, me say just, that, let me just interject no, no, let me here. Just that, you, you, can, you can say that that relates to character in the Biden family. You can make that argument. But I think um, um, if you keep it uh, focused on corruption issues that relate to public policy and uh, possibly, um, it, you know, uh, undue use of influence, then I think you're on much sounder ground. Mm-hmm. But the other the other stuff doesn't even deserve a, a look see by the. Uh, well, you know well, everything I mean, is called a... everything is called the news media now, right? So everybody under well, yeah. the sun from TMZ to the National Enquirer. So I'm not saying it's not National going Enquirer to be... broke the John Edwards story. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not to be smirching anyone, but and I'm Gary just Hart. saying the 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 news media is a very broad term, right? So um, I, I I'm sure that I'm sure that that will be a subject of interest for some folks. But I don't think it's really going to move the needle for much of the American electorate. All right, Jeff, uh, the, the Washington Post chose today uh, to run clips of uh, secretly recorded uh, conversations uh, between uh, Donald Trump's sister and uh, the niece who's written this uh, recent uh, uh, very scurrilous book about uh, Donald Trump. And it's the front page of the Washington Post today, mm-hmm. and it it basically reveals that she doesn't think much of her brother. Uh, she questions all the things about his character that have been questioned for the last four years. And the story breaks on the eve of the Republican convention and also following uh, the death and the funeral uh, at the White House of his, of his brother, who he described as his better friend mm-hmm. i mean i, I think that, how, how, how do how do people how do you think people will uh react to that i i think the the shocking thing for me was the fact that mary trump surreptitious, surreptitiously recorded her family members for 15 years that's insane like like that, that that's not <laughs> that's a character flaw in and of itself right um I don't think that any of the revelations that uh, his, uh, you know, that President Trump's sister doesn't like him or doesn't doesn't think that he um, is, you know, a man of high character are going to resonate with anyone persuadable, right? Um, I I think that that's for better or worse priced in for the past four years, and I just don't understand why uh, the Hunter Biden stories. Uh, which actually deal with corruption instead of character issues, get set into the back page uh, when these things break, you know, breathlessly. Oh, my God. Imagine, you know, what what uh, his sister had to say about Mm -hmm. him. When we come back, uh, Derek, it does bring into question the role of the news media in this campaign. What's what shows they uh, choose to cover and which ones they don't want. We come back. I want to expand our discussion on that matter. 1-800-723-8289. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. 
There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Come on back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Derek, uh, because you spend so much time in news, explain to the audience, because a lot of people listening to this program thinks, think that the national news media especially is is very left or very liberal or progressive, whatever, is anti-Republican, certainly anti-Trump. Um, would you would you acknowledge that? Now, you've, you've been retired. Would you acknowledge that some of that is true vis-a-vis Donald Trump, that maybe the media has gone overboard to make his life miserable? Well, I think there's an antipathy toward Donald Trump, uh, and I think it goes both ways. <clears throat> uh, yes. You remember Donald right. Trump, uh, kind of started this on the day of his inauguration when he started talking about how many people were or weren't on the mall, which, by the way, is completely irrelevant to the, the event. Right. And, uh, I mean, I was on the mall. I can tell you the mall wasn't filled. But it, but who cares? You, I mean, you've just been elected president of the United States, mm-hmm. and you're going to make this the highlight issue on what should be the, the most significant day of your life? Come on. So um, it kind of started there. And um, this is a president who's played uh, faster and looser with the facts than anybody I've, I've ever seen, uh, and not just in, in, in challenging conventional wisdom, but in, in challenging um, well-established things that are known uh, for political gain and to kind of gin up his political base. <clears throat> is, it the now, res- is it the responsibility of the media, however, when, when he has given a speech, and certainly he's provided enough fodder uh, for, for some a lot of negative coverage, but when he gives a speech on a matter, is it the responsibility of the journalist to decide what's right and what's wrong, or is that is that the role of the loyal opposition? At least that's the way it's been for many, many years. Well, I think as a reporter, you have a responsibility to report what someone in that kind of position of authority says. But if it is blatantly untrue, I, I, I don't mean at the margins, and I, I don't mean a, as a matter of opinion. I mean as a matter of fact. Then uh, if it's something of importance, I think you have a responsibility uh, within maybe your report or elsewhere in a newscast or a newspaper to point that out. And that's I think that's responsible context. Jeff, uh, you have been one observer who's been on this program who's critical of the national news media and the political slant they have from time to time. Um, how do you respond to that same question? I, I don't disagree with anything that, that Derek just said. Um, what I disagree with is the selective application of those principles, right? So 
uh, when when Trump needs to be uh, when President Trump needs to be fact checked, you know, they'll cut away from his speech to fact check him. CNN, who has gone off the deep end here, writes these ridiculous over the top chirons that go underneath like his his live speech. And yet when um, Joe Biden or when uh, when Kamala Harris or when anyone else tells these whoppers, they're, they're just not responded to the same way. And that's what frustrates people. That's what gets people uh, to believe that the media is slanted is the selective application of those journalistic principles. Is Fox News part of the media? Yes. Yes. Are they part of the mainstream media? I mean, I would say so. I I would too. So what I'm saying is, the reason I ask the question is. This cuts both ways. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But but when you start with the characterization that the media is uh, anti-Trump or uh, far left, uh, you know, the Trump you know, the Fox News is basically a, an organ of the White House. It was not the, the opinion, the opinion, the opinion pieces. Sure. Are. But, but mean, the straight I, I news think, pieces like Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, like they're actually like Chris Wallace's interview and with and Trump. Shep, and Shep was. As yeah, well, exactly. Uh, before he left the network. But but um, but it's not the same on the other networks. There's no there's no straight news on the other networks because like they're all wanting to inject opinion. But how much of that straight news is the Fox News content? That's maybe what two hours a day. Um, no, most of, most during the day. I, if you, yeah, wa- I think it, if I think you watch them during the day, I think they are Fox a very good. Well, that, yeah, that, the that, president's that, favorite I TV see, show. I, I see that as a as a programming element. I don't see it as a straight news. But if you if you watch them let's from say, ten in the third. morning to six at night, uh, you're you're watching a pretty straight newscast. I would somewhat disagree. I think it's it tilts right. But um, but okay, that's one that's one outlet that tilts right. It's the okay. biggest one on television. Would it, you say? Would is. you say the same thing? Uh, would you make the same assessment of uh, of MSNBC? And, oh, absolutely. And okay, okay. I mean, absolutely. I, I think MSNBC, and this is you know this is uh, where we are in the media, and uh, I, I think it's problematic because I think uh, well-informed people should really listen. Uh, with a critical ear, but should really listen to what the opposition says, because I mm-hmm. don't think uh, either side is all right or all wrong. And I, I think um, by simply, you know, retreating to our amen corners, we, we continue the vision and not look for places where there can be agreement and places where they could actually be uh, action taken that would benefit the entire okay. country. I mean, this is actually one of the great things about being um, a blue state Republican, right? I am surrounded. I'm trying to figure out what the good things are. There are very few, but this is one of them. <laughs> I am surrounded by liberal orthodoxy. My, my premises are questioned all the time, right? And the, the people that I know that are on the other side of the spectrum who are also in this blue state have never had their orthodoxies questioned at all. And when they do, they get offended. Like, I lost friends over the 2016 election. And and it's like they've never heard an opposing viewpoint. And so that's why all of these um, leftist talking points get boiled down to the simplest thing. If you don't agree with this, you hate this group. Well, there is there is a kind of almost religious orthodoxy that's developed on both sides. Sure. And um, I I have heard it among, um, you know, friends uh, that I that I know. And things are repeated as fact. When they are, they are really more of opinions, and maybe not even correct as fact. Yeah, and, and that, but in that's new, a but problem. In, but in newsrooms, Derek, where you right. spent a lot of time, 
and I've spent some time in programming departments primarily, but d- discussing news and talk, uh, the, the, the one opinion that everyone seems to nod their head at is one that would be described as a progressive left of center. I don't want to say leftist, but certainly a left of center, uh, you know, a, a basic fact. They, they, they acknowledge it or, or they can't comprehend they, or they don't even know. I mean, I know some people, they don't even know conservatives. I mean, look at what happened with um, Brett Stevens at the Wall Street Journal when he was hired and the campaign to try and get rid of him. Uh, Kevin Williamson and the successful campaign to remove him from the Atlantic. Uh, and the most recent con- co- um, most recent conflict with uh, with uh, Barry Weiss uh, at the New York Times. Like, these people are not Republican firebrands. This isn't like... Um, I don't know. I mean, you call Kevin Williamson a Republican, he'll fight you. Um, and, you know, these people are, are, are cast as these far right, you know, Nazis and all this kind of stuff. And they're just creating the bubbles out of the newsrooms. I can say that in the newsrooms I worked in, I don't remember political discussions as such. Sure. But, I mean, you'll, you'll admit that 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 was a, obviously a very different time, right? I mean, like, I can't even I retired imagine... a year ago, so I'm not that old. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, right? So, like, I, I can't imagine going to college today, right? Because, like, I went to, to college uh, during the first Obama administration, and, you know, you didn't talk about being a Republican at DePaul, right? But, like, people kind of knew, and you wouldn't get ostracized. I actually had some great debates um, in poli-sci classes because you'd find like the other two Republicans and then you'd sit with each other and then, you know, you'd kind of be like you versus the class. And that was always fun because it was done in like this spirit of academic debate. And an exchange of ideas. Exactly. And nobody was vilified and ad hominems and that kind of stuff. And I can't imagine that happening today. As it relates to uh, what happened last week and what happened may happen again next week is uh, there was nary a word of the disturbances and unrest in, in cities at the Democratic Convention. Now, I know that a political party wants to accentuate their positive, uh, but is does the news media have a responsibility during a four-day extravaganza like the Democrats had to sort of, uh, you know, in their news reporting, bring up the fact that, well, you know, there's other things going on that the Democrats are avoiding, whether it's that or uh, discussions of China. I mean, I, I was flabbergasted that neither of the things came up. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of policy discussed, uh, period. But I didn't see that necessarily as a failing, simply because uh, you've got at least two months more of campaigning, mm-hmm. uh, campaign coverage. Uh, and also, you've got four debates coming up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three one-on-one debates mm-hmm. uh, between uh, Biden and President Trump and, of course, the vice presidential debate. There's plenty of time to outline policy differences um, and uh, as you mentioned, what the Democrats wanted to emphasize is that Joe Biden is not Donald Trump, that he's right. a nice guy. I mean, Trump said himself, when integrity's on the ballot, character's on the ballot, that's what he is running on. And um, to the extent that policy was not uh, discussed, um, you know, every election where there's an incumbent, Bruce, you know, is a referendum on the, mm-hmm. on the incumbent. Right. And especially when you have such an unorthodox and incendiary incumbent as President right. Trump— that is that is the case as well. I know um, people would like to have a more, um, especially uh, uh, you know, people who are uh, really into politics would like to have a more uh, in, informed and uh, uh, in-depth policy debate. But I think you're going to see much more of that uh, actually in the debates 
and uh, that's why they're going to be so so key, especially when candidates largely are uh, prevented from doing much campaigning at in this, person. At this point, Jeff, what would you say is the key issue? Having watched the Democratic convention, and I think I think the Democrats made a good case that that, that Joe Biden is a is a decent, honest guy. And I know I know there's probably probably people listening that just, that just almost drove off the road. But again, uh, I, I've been I've been watching uh, Joe Biden for f- from really the beginning. I mean, the the story the, of, the story of what happened on his election night when he lost his wife and daughter. It it made him a front page story yeah. on his first day as a politician. And so I have followed his career, and uh, he does come across like a neat and 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 a good decent man. And the only besmirchment of the family has been, you know, his son. I mean, and, that's- and that's not, he shouldn't be blamed for that. When we come back, I want to talk more about the other issues that Republicans are concerned about. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be can unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. We're going to take a moment now and let each of our guests tell you a little bit more about themselves. And we'll start with you, uh, Jeff Hom. Hi, uh, my name is Jeff Holm. I'm the political director for the Young Republican National Federation, which is a nationwide organization of young Republican chapters uh, that helps uh, bring young people into the party, uh, adjust messaging uh, of the party towards young people, uh, and most importantly, to uh, actually do get out the votes, uh, get out the vote efforts uh, every uh, election cycle. Derek Blakely. I am a uh, born and bred uh, Chicagoan from the great south side of Chicago. That's what Richard J. Daly used to call it. (laughs) And um, I spent 40 years uh, in uh, television news um, as a a CBS news correspondent based in Chicago, London, and Germany, and followed by uh, more than 30 years uh, at uh, two network-owned stations in Chicago, the NBC and CBS-owned stations. And I retired last year, and since then I've been doing some teaching and some writing primarily for the the Center for Illinois Politics, a uh, data-driven policy website. Okay, thanks very much. Jeff, I asked before the break, uh, what is what is the issue when you when you go out on your uh, uh, work for your organization? What is the issue that you hear most uh, from Republicans? What do they want to know? Um, I think a lot of people um, are um, sometimes frustrated with uh, the Twitter account. Um, I think that's the number one gripe. Um, I think that a lot explain of, that. Um, so um, I think that sometimes uh, President Trump can um, undo. Uh, he he kind of always needs to be the center of attention, right? And so there have been times where the Democrats are destroying themselves, right? Like uh, the the Democrat primaries were a great example, 
and he would tweet about something unrelated and ignite some controversy. And the media was happy to obviously go after whatever controversy because it gets them away from, you know, talking about how the Democrats are destroying each other. Um, so things like that. Um, I think that a lot of that is priced in, though. Right. It's one of those things where I wish he could do it better, but I'm still going to support him. Um, so, uh, you know, it, the idea, especially when you hear uh, President Obama's most recent interview saying that um, uh, Bern, uh, Bernie Sanders positions and Joe Biden's positions are essentially the same. Right. It's that kind of stuff that makes people go, well, OK, I mean, I don't like this, but it's better than the alternative. And if you look at the actual um, accomplishments, right, whether you look at uh, the economic recovery, obviously, before uh, the blue states decided they all needed to lock everything down in an attempt to blow up the economy. Uh, if you look at the recovery since, if you look at, um, you know, the fact that we have a space program again, like there's there's all these things you can point to that, oh, you know, oh, he's mean just doesn't seem to resonate with people. Well, it seems to me it, it, it resonates with a lot of people who already dislike him. So right. I, I guess my your reaction, Derek, you had a follow up. Well, um, I think that uh, if what you're saying is that. Uh, President Trump is his own worst enemy in a lot of instances. I, I think that's true, and I think his his tweeting does undermine people looking him looking at him uh, uh, differently and maybe focusing on the accomplishments. But you know, when you're the ringmaster of the circus, it's hard not to ignore the circus. I yeah, mean, he's the president of the United States. I mean, if he's the ringmaster of the circus, then that kind of makes the national media like the, the the clapping seals, right? Because there's nothing. That, that he can say that they won't be like, oh, my God, we, we've got to follow this topic. Well, I think he is the, I the think president what, of the United States. Sure. I, think that, I mean, that's like, you know, do you, you ignore what the Pope says? That that comes with I mean, the position. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, you point, simply Derek, can't say we're going to ignore what the president says today and we're going to we're going to focus on this. Derek, but, one of it, one of his one of his concerns. And I, I and he takes I think he takes a lot of things uh, way too personal. He doesn't sure. seem he's, he's not a he's not a thick skinned politician. Uh, is that he doesn't believe he gets any credit for anything, the positive things. I mean, if you look at the network newscast, I mean, it is nonstop bombardment of some negative thing, accentuating the negative that's, that's happened. So he won't get a credit for for doing anything, well, you can, even when he does something good. Well, you know, I think he got credit for um, the the economic recovery when the when the when the stock market was doing well and the economy was flourishing, he took credit for it, and uh, uh, I think he 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 got credit for it. Uh, it has been something of a you know a bifurcated um, uh, recovery. And even now, I mean, the stock market is soaring, but a lot of people are in pain as a result of of COVID, uh, the unemployment and, and the distress that that's caused. Um, you know, that's that's been his major accomplishment, and since. Uh, I mean, what about peace in the Middle East, right? The UAE and the Israelis just normalized relations. Like if that happened under and there's five more uh, five more Arab states that are supposed to be a coming. Well, Morocco is not an Arab state. That is a, that is a major, major. If that deal. happened under the Obama administration, we would never hear the end of it. It would be nonstop and rightfully so, because it is an incredible accomplishment. The United Arab Emirates supported the Palestinians in the second intifada. Does that move and votes? Who's who who is moved by I agree with you, but who is moved by that? With all the issues that that affect people on a daily basis, yeah. where does that issue fit? Does it make the top twenty? I does anybody know about it? Right. I mean, that's that's the challenge. Right. If, if even if they knew about it, 
does it move the needle for the average guy who's making or a woman who's trying to make a living? No, because the, uh, typically when when this is polled, you know, the top three are usually the economy, personal, financial security, you know, well-being and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like one once my family is good and I'm, I'm you know, OK, not worried about, you know, whether my state is going to decide that my business is unessential and I might go bankrupt. Once they don't mm-hmm. have to worry about those things, then they worry about the things higher order. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, that's why the economy is is super important. And you can tell that the economy is recovering because there are outlets like The Atlantic trying to say, trying to claim that uh, the reason for the uh, the eco- economic recovery is because Trump inherited it from President Obama. One of the other big issues that uh, has not received a lot of coverage, and that is there was a report recently that, uh, according to our intelligence sources, they have said that, Russian, the Russians are trying, or Vladimir Putin is trying to help Donald Trump. And that same report said that uh, the Chinese are trying to help uh, Joe Biden. Uh, when you watch the story unfold on television, it's all about Trump and the and the Russians. Nobody spends any time talking about the Chinese uh, again alleged uh, uh, preference for uh, for Joe Biden. So my question to you again, as a as a reporter. Uh, Knowing that you have these great countries out there trying to disrupt our election process, how do you as a reporter and how does someone listening or watching one of your broadcasts know if a story that you're about to break is maybe coming out of Moscow or Beijing? Well, I don't I haven't heard that the uh, <clears throat> the Russians have uh, infiltrated uh, America's newsrooms. But um, but with stories, they could. I mean, how, if they're doing it with bots and they're doing it on the Internet, I mean, uh, isn't part of what they would attempt to do is is to try to plant a story in a major news uh, operation? I, I Frankly, I don't know what they would try to do. They, I mean, I, I would not put it behind them. And certainly they have uh, used disinformation to try to uh, affect the electorate and, and, and public opinion. Um that would not be a major concern for me if I were a uh, a voter. Uh, but to go back to what you said before, I think, uh, frankly, I had not heard the report that the uh, Chinese were uh, working on behalf of Joe Biden. That could be, I mean, you can't read everything and see everything. You can, but I just want to make my point. You have just made my point because the story that came out, the original story, the Senate Intelligence Report said both things. But the only thing that people are following up on, the news media, including Chuck Todd, who's who's just, he's obsessed with the Russians. The only story he brings up is their alleged involvement with the Trump campaign. They well, that, mention nothing about the and you and you well, should, a, you don't even know about it. And I would say that most people don't even know about. I it. I would agree it should be reported. Uh, I don't know that it hasn't been reported. I just said I haven't seen it. But certainly, the the Trump Russia story has a longer tail that goes all the way back to 2016. I mean, that has, and it, that so has continued and it, to wait, appears to be fa- a fabricated story, yeah, too. So, what was, so this is the thing, right? So we heard for three years, you know, the Mueller investigation. No, no, I don't mean, when I say Trump-Russia, I don't mean that, that Trump was cooperating with Russia, but Russia okay. was trying to influence the election in favor of Trump, which is what the Senate Republicans said. Okay, so but this is the, but this is the problem, right? Is that there's a difference between a nation trying to influence our election, right? Because we're you know one of the most important economies in the world. It makes sense, right? I mean, hell, we uh, the Obama administration uh, tried to work against uh, Netanyahu in Israel, right? So 
the, the idea that they tried to influence the election by, you know, whatever, and then that they did. That's the logical leap that that many on the left want to make that. I mean, pe- people believe on the left believe that Russia changed votes. I, I don't know what people on the left believe. That has it, that's, ne- a, that's a, never a, been reported. And that's, I, I can fact, pull up the poll for you right now. No, no, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not disputing okay. what, what a poll says. I'm just saying that, to my knowledge, I have never seen the information reported in that way. The information I've always seen reported was that uh, Russia was meddling in the election to try to help Trump. Which does not mean and does not but say that Trump was cooperating in that. Is, is a $20,000 Facebook ad buy of bad memes with Jesus arm wrestling Satan? Like, is, is that actually because that's what came out of these bot farms, right? Stupid political, like bad memes like that. It, is that considered meddling or is that like inconsequential because nobody, nobody who's persuadable would care about that kind of thing? I don't quite understand the question. What I'm saying is, okay, so let's say they made a $20,000 Facebook ad buy, which they did, right? These, like, Russian bot farms, and they put out these bad political memes that were just, mm-hmm. like, I don't I don't even know. But one of them was Jesus arm-wrestling Satan and Satan saying, if Hillary wins, I win, or something like that. That's the quality of, of interference that the, the Russian bot farms did in our election. Well, I'm just telling you what the Senate Republicans yeah. reported. Uh, uh, you know, and that was that was their conclusion. I don't know if they rated the quality of the interference, but they did say there, definitely, that there was an there was, to influence the there was influence and there continues to be influence. We'll talk about it more when we come back. We are strong. We are resilient and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we will uh, go to calls. Let's go to uh, Joy listening to us in Spokane, Washington. Joy, are you there? Go ahead. Hello, Joy. Are you there? Joy on line one on our great new phone system. Is she there or not? Well, Joy is not there. Uh, Derek, let's come back to you. And, and another big issue that has not received a lot of coverage uh, is the impact, if any, does um, uh, the inroads attempted by the Republicans into the African-American community. Is that likely that any of those are going to be successful? Not in a way I think that's going to come close to influencing the result of the election. Uh, from what I've been reading um, you know, Donald Trump may run slightly better in African-American communities than he did four years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I have not seen anything to indicate that um, 
uh, it's significant enough that it is going to be impactful. What do you think about that, Jeff? There's um, been a, there has been, at least to a lot of Republicans, there's been a lot of time spent in trying to reach out to the black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this going to be a year where it might pay off? Um, I would certainly hope so. And I think that um, some of the places where there's a lot of civil unrest, uh, like our own fair city, uh, are actually helping uh, President Trump's case because you see the the mayors like uh, Mayor Lightfoot, who decides, you know, these protesters are peaceful, but she doesn't want them on their blo- on her block. And they see that kind of his hypocrisy because a lot of these people who are uh, Antifa and that kind of stuff are overwhelmingly white they are overwhelmingly uh from privilege and they go into these poorer neighborhoods to play act at revolution uh there was a uh, great video yeah but um, the pro the protest in the protests in chicago mm-hmm. uh are are black lives matter uh they're they've been projected to be every single night they're mm-hmm. the ones that wanted to get into the mayor's uh, you know, blocked to, to protest. And they're they're talking about reparations. They're talking about, you know, th- th- demanding all kinds of things, defunding the Chicago Police Department. Yeah, I mean, there's they're a, not stopping on that issue. There's a well, billboard you know, we on had that scene just last week where there was a group that wanted to march in Inglewood and they yeah. were stopped. Yes, that's exactly stopped what I was about by, to talk about. By the, by by the, the Inglewood residents themselves. Exactly. Said, no, take that yes. nonsense out of yes. here. And by the way, there was also a, a poll done by the Gallup Center on Black Voices, which... Uh, raised the question about abolishing police. Uh, And uh, the poll showed that uh, 22% of blacks, 22% supported that. 20% of Latinos, 12% of whites. So um, in terms of, you know, defunding police, whatever that means, there may be more support depending on how you characterize that. But in terms of abolishing police, people in crime-ridden neighborhoods know that they need police protection. It's the kind of police protection mm-hmm. that, they, that they want. They don't want police protection that uh, abuses the rights or where police uh, a, are, use uh, undue force and are not punished for it. There's another thing that's easy to understand, and that is, again, the news media has not covered it at all. I'm sure Donald Trump will mention it once or twice. And that is Kamala Harris. She is the one that came up in the, in the primaries when she said she wanted to abolish... ICE. Mm-hmm. Abolish ICE. And she also said that she wanted to make, she wanted to end, she did not want it to be illegal again to sneak into the country. She wanted to, de, you know, de-legitimize that. Right. So my question is, those are issues, it seems to me, those are issues that a lot of Republicans would be concerned about, and frankly, a lot of Democrats. And that's why and, she, and, and they haven't even asked her about that. Yes, and that's why, and you know, uh, after the convention the other night, there was, a, there was a video where reporters were told, you know, to, to go outside or they're going to miss the fireworks. And instead of staying around to ans- ask questions of, you know, the people that were just nominated to one of the two major parties in the country, they all ran outside to watch fireworks, right? So it shows you kind of where, <laughs> where the... Uh, uh, priorities are, but it also shows you why uh, the media uh, is in such a hurry to paint uh, Kamala Harris uh, as a moderate when she is not a moderate at all. She is. She is. Um, this is a woman who publicly accused uh, her debate opponent of uh, sexual assault, of racism, and now she's running on his ticket. Like that. That seems to me like this woman oh, that just, was just, is, is just after power. <laughs> and she left. Ah, it's just the debate. Right. But, but like, 
these are issues that do not have widestream widestream support. Like if you go back to the Black Lives Matter, I think that there was a moment after uh, after uh, George Floyd was uh, was murdered that there was going to be broad based support for reforming uh, qualified immunity for reforming mm-hmm. police unions to talk about excessive use of force, what's appropriate and all that kind of stuff. And then these organizations under the flag of Black Lives Matter come out and start talking about reparations and endorsing looting. And and it it just there goes the, the, the broad base of support. Derek, your response to that? Well, um, I certainly thought thought that the comments made by the uh, Black Lives Matter spokesman in Chicago, where she basically said looting equaled reparations was ridiculous. It 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 uh, it harmed uh, the argument. I think there is a legitimate argument for reparations, but it harmed that argument. uh, Certainly. Um, However, I think those are still the the kind of reform measures that you were mentioning are still uh, legitimate, still have to be considered and still uh, should be for the for the well-being of everyone, uh, everyone in the country. Although, you know, the argument. I mean, I think there was an argument originally that the protests were not were were not the same as the looting. But when you have statements like that, uh, it 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 blurs that line, which is uh, which is highly problematic. As, but back, as, as, but as, back to Kamala Harris. Let me yeah, just say this okay, about sure. her. Uh, I, I think. Painting her as a wild-eyed radical is is uh, is quite extreme. I mean, she was a state attorney general. She was a prosecuting attorney, and and um, she also um, uh, you know was uh, has been endorsed basically by the lead, a lot of leaders on Wall I Street. I didn't say she was a radical. Well, well, I said she was. A an lot of leaders on Wall Street because we got to pa- pause because she's not Elizabeth Warren well, or Bernie Sanders. We got to pause. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back for another four hour. Don't go away. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope. Our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. 
Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, in this hour, we're going to present, uh, we've got uh, three special experts who are going to join us in addition to our first hour guests. And uh, let's uh, bring them into the conversation. William Cressy is here. He is a commissioner of the Chicago Board of Elections. They call him Professor Fraud. We'll ask him why. And he also teaches at Governor's State University. Charles Stewart III joins us. He is an expert in elections, and he joins us from MIT in Boston. And Lance Goff joins us. He is the executive director of the Chicago Board of Elections. And uh, I have invited them on because there's been so much discussion and, uh, I think, misinformation uh, in the media about uh, uh, voting, whether it's absentee balloting or universal mail-in voting and all all kinds of voting-related matters. So these gentlemen uh, really are experts in the subject, and I, and I want to begin, first of all, by asking you, uh, uh, Mr. Pressey, um, why is it, or at this point, how many states are really still uh, on the edge as to how they are to vote? Because I think most of the states uh, have their acts together, do they not? That's correct. Um we have a handful of states who've gone to what's been called universal uh, absentee voting or universal voting, mm-hmm. where a ballot is mailed out to every registered voter in the state. Then we have what we have in Illinois, uh, no excuse absentee voting, where you don't need to come up with any particular you know, excuse. You're going to be out of state. You're going to you, you plan on being sick that day uh-huh. uh, and you can request an absentee ballot. So we, you can request it regardless of the reason. Um, then there's another group, uh, which I guess you would call sort of true or excuse necessary absentee balloting. And um, and that is that number has been slowly decreasing 
because at least at this time, because a lot of these states, either through law or regulation, are saying that fear of COVID-19 is a valid excuse to get an absentee ballot. Mm-hmm. And um, I checked just last evening, and I think we're down now to five states that do not, that where you have to have an excuse to vote by absentee ballot and fear of COVID-19 is not considered a valid and, excuse. Am I correct? Is, is Texas the largest state? Because I know that uh, it, it was Texas and Mississippi. Do you know those five states off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I think it's uh, Texas, Mississippi, Indiana, right next uh-huh. door to Illinois yeah. is, um, and uh, two other southern Louisiana states. Louisiana was one, yep. Yeah, which uh, which offhand I don't recall, but they're 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 all in the South except for Indiana, and they might change before Election Day. Okay, and so again, if those cha- if those states change, and say that my excuse is I'm fearful of COVID, they too could be included, but right at this moment they are exceptions. That is correct. Okay. They're- now, when, when the, I, could find. I want to ask Charles Stewart a question. Thank you for joining us. The, the president has raised this, the, the, the fear that uh, voting by mail is, is going to be rife with uh, possible corruption. Do you agree with that, Professor? I mean, no. I mean, I, the, what the, the kernel, and there's a small kernel of truth in, in what the president says, which is that Voting by mail on the face of it provides more options for bad actors to try to take advantage of the situation. But what's happened is election administration doubles down on the sorts of protections that are instituting in voting by mail. Um, I mean, to the point where there are three states that have for many years been voting entirely by mail, Oregon, Washington, Colorado. Another couple um, such as Utah we're coming on Hawaii, we're coming on for 2020. Mm-hmm. And a few more like um, Nevada are doing special one-time only things for um, for 2020. Mm-hmm. Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. You can say a lot of things by, about vote by mail, but those are three states you would not mm-hmm. say are rife with voter fraud. Now, the, sec- um, the Secretary of State of Washington uh, was recently asked, and they said that it took about five or six years to get ready, to get all the mechanisms together so that they were comfortable. So they were concerned that the rest of the states that are dealing with this right now, they might not just have the physical time to get it right. Is that a legitimate fear that you have? Oh, it is. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm glad that most states haven't gone down that route. Um, you know, a couple of states like California were close there anyway. I mean, I, I think it's a reasonable question of pub- public policy, whether, whether states like Nevada and New Jersey are ready for it. But, but that's more on the administrative side of, of dealing with just the, you know, just the volume of of ballots and the amount of signature matching you have to do rather than other concerns about teenagers going through and and you know grabbing thousands of 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 mail ballots and Mm. casting them fraudulently lance goff i want to bring you into the conversation you're you're the longtime executive director of the chicago board of elections and my question to you is the state of illinois the legislature in illinois recently uh uh threw a a curveball to you uh, by basically saying that COVID-19 is an excuse 
uh, if you want to vote uh, by mail or vote by absentee. So my question to you is, uh, are you ready in Illinois, and, and what advice would you give to others in your position around the United States as how easy it or how difficult is it uh, to to get ready in a in less than three months? I'm glad you asked. It's 71 days before the election. <laughs> we but who's were, counting? <laughs> yeah, we were fortunate enough when this uh, bill was passed in Illinois that we had friends in Colorado and especially in Denver that we met with and, mm-hmm. and went over uh, information and other states, Oregon. I've been to all these states. I've seen their elections. And uh, I feel very, very comfort, comfortable in what we're doing. We went and changed our whole vote by mail process. At the primary, we did about 117,000 sent out vote by mail. This one, we're already at 260,000 in the system and we still have time to go. So I feel very comfortable with uh, vote by mail. I feel comfortable with early voting and increasing voting. It's all about planning your vote. And that's something you have to let the electoral know. You have to plan your vote. If you're gonna vote by mail, check online to make sure you're registered Mm -hmm. before you you apply for that application Mm -hmm. for ballot. But if again, just the, the part of, to separate uh, or to ease some of the confusion that's out there and the news media, as well as the president, I think, have engaged in this, as well as the Democrats when they threw the post office into it. We'll get to that in the next segment. But uh, the, the difference between mail-in voting and absentee voting. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the secretary of state of Michigan said the other night at the Democratic convention that there is no difference between the two. But there is. Isn't that correct, Commissioner Cressy? Uh, again, these terms keep getting mixed yeah. up in there. Um, the uh, there, There's, I guess we could call it what we have in Illinois, no excuse absentee voting okay. uh, or no excuse vote by mail. We prefer to use vote by mail where any any registered voter for any reason can request a ballot by mail. Do you have this? When we, come, when we come back, I want you to re- repeat that, and also we'll pick up on your discussion. Don't go away. We'll be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services. Indeed knows that for any business, your next step is the most important one, like hiring someone who can make a real impact. Indeed can help you find high-impact hires faster, without any long-term contracts, and you pay only for what you need, thanks to our super-flexible payment options. So why not take that next step with Indeed? Get started with a free $75 credit for your first job post and get in front of more quality candidates. Go to Indeed.com slash high impact. 
That's indeed.com slash high impact. Terms and conditions apply. Finding the next job is a big job, and that part of what you do is a little tough right now. Because of that, Lowe's for Pros is here to help. Get $400 in leads on us with a free one-year subscription from HomeAdvisor to connect to jobs that make sense for you. Sign up at Lowe'sforpros.com slash proloyalty to get started. Just one more reason why Lowe's is the new home for pros. Now let's get to work. Subscription and $400 lead credit subject to HomeAdvisor's approval and terms. Valid for new HomeAdvisor customers only. Lowe's loyalty required. More terms apply. Valid through 99 US only. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831 I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing on all Smart Beds. Ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Hey, it's JT and Leanne. Join us for the Heart and Home Radio Show. Brought to you by Exit Realty. Sundays at 11 on Smart Talk. WCGO, AM and FM. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. And again, uh, in our last segment, we were talking about the five states that currently uh, do not offer a fear of COVID-19 as an excuse for absentee balloting. There's only five states, and uh, Commissioner Cressy said that they're likely to change their mind. Uh, Indiana changed their mind just, uh, I guess, the other... No, Indiana is still on that list. It's Indiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, and South Carolina was the Ah. state that we could not remember. But uh, uh, represent... Texas Texas and uh, South Carolina have... uh, Pending litigation going on right now. Legislation? Legislation or litigation? Okay. Legislation or litigation? Litigation, too. Yeah, they usually come in pairs. Mr. Cressy, I want to go back. You were, uh, we were interrupted by the commercial break, but you were explaining the process uh, that uh, that most people have. If you you want to vote absentee, you have a responsibility that you have to do something first before they send you the ballot. Explain that process. If you want to vote absentee, what do you do? Right. For, for absentee, uh, you have to request a ballot, except in those states that have, again, what's been called universal voting, uh, universal vote by mail, uh, where they just go ahead and mail the ballots out. Uh, the um, uh, the rest of the country. And by the way, let me just mention. I, I, I want to I want to confirm. Those states are California, Nevada, uh, California, Nevada, um, uh, uh, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and I think Utah. New Jersey is now in the mix somehow. Okay, all right. Did I leave Utah. any out, Charles? And Utah, 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 Utah. just changed. Yeah, okay. and again, just for this year, they Hawaii. did that. Yeah. Hawaii. Hawaii too. Okay. okay. So those states, you're going to get a ballot in the mail. Uh, putting my professor fraud hat on, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this 
sudden change to that. The states that have been doing universal for years still report around a 30% of the ballots don't get returned. And I, I guess, especially being from Chicago, the idea that if we were to mail out to all of our registered voters, 1.5 million voters, and that would be like 450,000 ballots flying around out there, I'm not comfortable with it in the short time we had to put the necessary controls in place. So I'm, uh, and, and if you parse the president's wording, it's this universal vote by mail that he's really opposed to. He's even said that absentee voting in Florida, he does himself and he's in favor of it. I think it's the universal he doesn't like where you don't have to request the ballot. It's simply mailed out to you. Charles, give us the history of absentee balloting in the United States. Where has it worked? Where have there been problems? Uh, is it generally uh, an easier way to vote? And is it a more accurate way to vote, as far as we know? Wow, that's a, that's an entire semester's um, <laughs> class on voting in America. I mean, the quick history is that, you know, up until, you know, the mid 20th century, voting you know, voting absentee was very, very rare. Um, you know, for you know, through the 19th century, you pretty much had to vote in person, and in many cases, you didn't even have a ballot. And so, voting in person was the norm. Um, the, the the thing as a professor I find really interesting is that the first couple of expansions of absentee balloting were actually one um, directed to um, the military, for instance, um, soldiers during the Civil War, and secondly were actually very, very partisan. So in the election of 1864, for instance, the first expansion of absentee balloting was intended to make it easier for Republican soldiers who were in the South to vote for Abraham Lincoln. We forget that Lincoln didn't know if he would get reelected in 64. Right. And so mm -hmm. it was, right, um, fast forward um, into the 20th century, the Second World War, um, you know, there, there was a similar... Um, desire to get soldiers to vote, but it got caught up in issues of racial segregation in the South. Do you send ballots to African-American troops in Europe when they can't vote in this, when they can't vote in the South? And so it really, you know, voting, voting absentee was very rare. And I have to say, it's very rare around the world. My friends from Israel, for instance, when they vote in a national election, they all fly back to Israel to vote. So this is not a universal thing worldwide mm -hmm. either. Um, what um, um, Professor Cressy was, was talking about, what Bill was talking about with respect to moving beyond excuses, started in the 60s with, with California, and really in the 80s and 90s, that began to, um, to um, expand throughout the country so that in the aughts, there was a, a kind of explosion of what we sometimes call convenience voting, either no excuse absentee voting, or in the South, and many of these states that have maintained for excuse absentee voting, they've made it more convenient by doing in-person early voting. So that's Tennessee, Texas, South um, um, North Carolina, for instance. So there's been an explosion of convenience. How you get that convenience is, I think, driven by local politics, political culture, and the rest. Who does it well? Well, and I, I will say thing number one is I'm kind of known in this world as being being a mail ballot skeptic. That having been said, I mean, I think that Washington, Oregon and, and Colorado, which have done it the longest, have thought about it the hardest. Mm -hmm. 
and have brought automation to the issue, have brought money to mm -hmm. the table, and have really been serious about the administrative procedures that go along with voting by mail. So I think they are the gold standard. And I, I, I would say that Colorado is probably at 11, is, is the state at 11, mm -hmm. because they've not only brought a lot of technology and thought to it, but they've maintained a larger presence for in-person voting. Um, and um, so, but all those three states are really doing it, are, are really doing it well. Mm. I, you know, I think for the other states, um, you know, Arizona, California have been doing a lot of it. And there, there are pockets that really do it well, but they're mm -hmm. coming on board. We will see about, you know, how the New Yorks, well, we're seeing how the New Yorks do it. Mm. But I mean, it's the, not it's well. the states not that have well, not huh? done it much that, that we're all, I think, kind of worried about. Lance, a question to you, be, and this has always concerned me, is that... Um, on election night, sometimes you don't know who the winner is because you have to wait for absentee ballots or sometimes a provisional ballot, whatever that is, we'll let you describe, uh, to be voted. And and I guess my question to you is, given the, the controversy involving uh, the post office now, are you confident that uh, at least in uh, the county of Cook or Illinois, we will know who the winner is on election night? You might not know. We have 14 days after that ballot is postmarked. We have 14 days up to count that ballot, depending on how many we get. Now, in the past, at 11 o'clock, we give out before the uh, 10 o'clock news is over with, you already know who won. But if with this number of uh, vote by mail, um, it, it may be some time. It may be a week even. But I'm letting you know, once that how is, many, how many ballots are in the pipeline, yeah. we'll get those things counted, and they'll be counted accurately. A question, and, and I'll, I'll ask any one of you to respond to this. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Dr. Fraud. Uh, Professor Fraud, I guess it is. Professor Fraud. <laughs> There's <laughs> a different Fraud. guy who's Dr. Fraud. <laughs> Dr. Fraud. Medical medical guy. Guy. <laughs> That's a medical guy. My question, yeah. to, my question to you is, maybe a lawyer. Why is it, why is it that people who were given the opportunity to vote early by mail balloting or absentee balloting, why isn't it mandatory that their ballots hit the polling place before Election Day and they're the first votes counted, not the last votes counted? Good question. Uh, but, <laughs> and, and again, election laws, wherever you're listening to this broadcast, check with your local authorities election right. law is a patchwork across the united states right. which can be both a weakness but also a strength because yep. it makes it a lot harder for a foreign bad actor to do something because they've 100%. got so many different rules right. Play with. right but um the uh illinois as long as you have the envelope postmarked by election day uh, we have up to two weeks after election day to receive it and count it and some of the thing is some people just haven't made up their mind on who to vote for until election day and you don't want to penalize the the uh, the, the absentee voter uh, against the 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 in-person voter uh, to allow them that want, time to make that to, decision I don't want to penalize them but I don't want to give them an extra break I mean, the system is giving them an opportunity. I mean, everybody's got to decide at the last minute. I mean, why should they be given this special? Well, we're not going to change it. I'm just well, on yeah. my soapbox right now. It, it's, 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 they, they, they still have to vote 
on or before election day, you know, and, and drop that ballot into the mailbox. They, they, it, they don't like get to wait to see what's going on on election day and then okay. decide and then mail it 14 days. It, the, it has to be in the mail postmarked by election day. We're essentially giving the post office two weeks to get that, that envelope to us. Uh, so that now a lot of jurisdictions, it has to be received by election day. And those are jurisdictions where this whole idea with a possible slowdown in mail services such really are affected. And Illinois, yeah, we'll we'll get it in two weeks. So okay. what did, what the Oregon, Washington, and Colorado do? Is it postmarked by election day or is it received by election day? One is received by and the other one is postmarked, and I forget which is which. Well, because um, like these are the these are the examples, right? So uh, earlier uh, you guys said that Colorado is the gold standard. So what is Colorado's policy? And, and we can we can find out about that. I don't know. I believe they're a postmarked by, but but I think you know back to this earlier issue about about counting them. Um, you know, there are states, and actually, um, I was just talking to Washington the other day. I'm pretty certain that they're able to quote unquote process. The, the, the ballots before election day. Now that can mean many things, but at the very least, that means they can check the name off the list. They can take the envelope out of the, they can take the ballot out Charles, of the envelope. Charles, we, ha- get- we, we have to break. We have to break. I want to continue this when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Tired of aspirins, Tylenols, and ibuprofens for aches and pains? For the past 20 years, Chicago CBD and essential oils owner David Sachs has been involved in the specialty foods market, and seeing his customers' health challenges, his business has further evolved into providing direct wellness solutions. Bringing together a collection of the finest natural products from the hemp, essential oil, and honey worlds, David developed high-impact solutions people can benefit from. CBD isolate drops, sublingual, and broad-spectrum CBD and non-CBD raw honeys and bee products, extra-strength CBD pain creams, CBD bath products including shampoo, conditioner, Epsom salts, and bath bombs, and therapeutic-grade essential oils. There's even CBD coffees, edibles like gummies and honey, and even CBD bacon-flavored pet drops for your pups. Check out CBD bundles for additional savings by ordering online today at MyChicagoCBD.com. Use promo code OPENROAD15 for 15 percent off your order and as david says be well stay well 
This is Mike Novak on the Smart Talk Radio Network with an important message about coronavirus. As we work to slow the spread of COVID-19, it's also important to take care of our animal companions, have extra food and medication on hand, and create a plan for taking care of your pets if you should get sick. Pet support services are more important than ever. Check with your local shelter or rescue to help them with a donation. Consider fostering or adopting a pet. We're all in this together. Go to humanesociety.org. As I went through school, one giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? First, I had to decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more, so I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore, and frustration a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy, and giving up impossible. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. It's JT and Leanne. Join us for Married with Microphones. Special guests, hot news topics, and our hilarious relationship report card. Saturdays. Bruce Dumont Beck, thanks very much for joining us. I'd like to take a moment now to ask our... uh, our guests to briefly uh, introduce themselves and uh, in studio with me uh, here in Evanston, I have Derek Blakely, a retired uh, reporter for uh, NBC and CBS uh, at the network level for CBS. And also uh, I have Jeff Hom, who's a leading expert on Republican politics, very active. And uh, let me take I'll a take moment to introduce our guests or let me have them introduce themselves uh, a little bit. Give us about uh, 20 seconds on your background and we're going to start with uh, Professor Fraud. How did you get that name, Bill? I am a professor at Governor State University, uh-huh. uh, where my specialty is forensic accounting and fraud examination. Uh, I, and like Derek Blakely, I'm a native of the south side of Chicago. And um, I'm an attorney, a CPA, a certified fraud examiner. I was a law clerk to the federal judge Abraham Lincoln Maravitz. Wow, wow. Um, and, uh, and I'm a member of the American Bar Association Advisory Commission on Election Law. I know. But Professor Fraud actually was given to me by a member of the media, and it stuck, and I went out and trademarked it. Okay, good, <laughs> good for you. Uh, Charles Stewart III joins us from MIT. Give us a little further background, Charles. Sure, I'm a political scientist um, here at MIT, where I've been here since 1985. I teach in American politics. Um, since 2000, I um, starting in 2000, I got roped into something called the Caltech MIT Voting Technology Project that um, was a really interesting um, interdisciplinary project that tried to understand what was happening in Florida and to use engineering and science to make things better. And ever since then, I've been studying elections, election reform um, from kind of a number crunchy scientific direction. And one last well, one last thing I'll say is right now I am co-directing a um, project called Stanford MIT Healthy Elections Project, which is studying um, how America is coping with voting under these circumstances, healthyelections.org. Lance Goff, tell us a little bit about your background, Lance. I've been affiliated with the Chicago Board of Elections for over 42 years. I've been the executive director for over 32 years. I sit on the standard board for the uh, EAC, Election Assistance Commission. I'm working with the Council of State Governments with overseas military voting. I've been the president of uh, the International Association of Election Officials, IACRIAT. 
Um, I've been in elections for quite a while. He beat us, Charles. I feel like we'd be remiss if we went further without uh, describing for the people who aren't watching the broadcast and are just listening that uh, Charles's background is the Brady Bunch, and uh, he, he's playing the role of Alice tonight. Oh, I see that. Let's go. Because he cleans everything up. Let's go back. Uh, a question I want to ask, Bob, and that is ballot harvesting. Uh, Professor Fraud, what is it, and how often is it used? Uh, ballot harvesting is when one person or a person working for a political organization or whatever goes around and collects absentee ballots from voters and brings them all in in one big one big chunk. Um, voters, at least in Illinois, voters are allowed to designate someone else to bring their ballot to the mailbox or bring it into what we're going to have in, in Illinois this year, drop boxes. We're going to have a, we have at least 51 that are going to be placed around Chicago, but you can designate someone else to bring in your ballot. How do you do that? There's a, on, on the envelope that would be the, the envelope that you would mail in on the back of it is a certificate where the voter, you know, states the name of the person who is going to be bringing in the ballot for them and signs it. Okay. So they could do so, that like in the moment it gets picked up, yeah. right? Well, when you just before you hand it to the person who's going to bring it to the mailbox. So yeah. if if your son and daughter is going to bring your your envelope to the mailbox, uh, you write their name on it and you sign it. Yeah. And the concern is that, that person. the concern is that that could lead to fraud because uh, someone like a a precinct captain or anybody trying to disrupt the system could could uh, do what? That well, there have been cases, and it's it's especially hurtful when you hear these cases against senior citizens where they go into mm. a senior center or a nursing home and go around and and tell the person how to vote and 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 then give them the ballot and bring them in and that kind of collection activity is 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 fraudulent and um and yet it, we, and, and yet and by the way we should and yet it went on for years as part of the cook county democratic party I'm not saying it's going on now. I think things have been relatively calm over the last 15 yeah. years in the city of Chicago. But that was that was a common practice. Uh, you'd go to the nursing homes and you'd and you'd pick up the uh, the ballots. It it has... was, but now I'm going to throw it to Lance because what do we do now in Chicago, Lance? Okay, no, uh, no. we have what we call nursing home votings, where we used to have our people would go out. Judges of election would actually vote the residents in the nursing home. This last primary, because of the COVID, nursing home uh, administrators did not want outsiders coming in. So what we did is we actually delivered the ballots to the nursing home residents, and we would go back and pick them up. And that's what we're planning on doing for this election. So there won't be anybody from the outside that will be handling the ballots. It'll right. be our... Is is that specifically for nursing homes or, or like countywide? That's this for is nursing homes. Okay. Nursing homes that we're yeah. doing because okay. there, as you're right, uh, 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 Bruce, there, there was that history of doing that in Chicago. Um, there's been a again we brainstorm to try and you know historically look at the the various uh, schemes and then looking forward with any new developments. How can a bad actor try to defraud yeah. the system. Yeah. And we, you know, uh, 
our, our good friends of the U.S. Uh, Postal Inspection Service are is going to be watching for this type of uh, mass mailing fraud where they we have this kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully, and uh, over the break I was saying this. To prevent fraud, you you cut out the opportunity, and but you do that by putting in the necessary controls that prevent, detect, and deter fraud. And hopefully, the the, the idea that the bad guys know that we're watching, we know their schemes, we're going to catch you, and we're going to have okay. you prosecuted and put in jail will deter them. If let's, not, let's we at so. least have controls in place. Okay. Let, let, let me go through this, and we should mention, by the way, because we have people listening in all 50 states uh, and, and around the world on the Internet. So, uh, you know, we're trying to be as, as broadly based in our conversation as we possibly sure. can. But uh, more and more people are going to be voting by absentee this year. Uh, and again, uh, that might also mean that you have to affirmatively ask for a ballot. Right. A ballot is then sent to you. And then hopefully you will put it in a mailbox or you will put it in one of these ballot mail drop boxes. Drop boxes. The voter themselves. My question to you then is what when that happens, uh, Lance, what yes. happens to that ballot when it comes back to your office? Take us through the process. What happens? Let's say let's talk about the drop boxes. We, we uh, every night we will pick up the ballots from all 51 drop boxes. Hopefully I'll have more by then. But 51 drop boxes being brought down to our office. They will then that's run one, that's one. That's one in each ward and one downtown as well? One in every early voting site. In our okay. early voting sites, we have uh, 50, one in each ward. And what we're going to do, somebody's going to be there watching who's dropping those ballots in. Okay. So it's not, you know, it's not willy-nilly. So if some yeah. guy walks in with an armful of ballots, we'll see it and we'll, we'll interview okay, him. All right, so go ahead. Finish, finish okay. the keep going. Then they're brought down. We then will timestamp them. We then run them through an agilis, which we see, is this the ballot that we sent out? And then we will take those ballots and we will compare on election. Well, we will compare signatures. The voter signature will be compared to their affidavit and what they have on file. Where, we where have, is, the, we will have where is three, their signature? Where is their signature? Their signature, I don't know if you can see it. This yeah. is a mock-up. Okay. It'll be on the outside, the outside of, this of the envelope. ballot. It's on the outside yes, of the ballot. On the envelope. Outside now, the, okay. on the mailing envelope. On the mailing envelope. Now, just to let you know, this mailing envelope was designed so it would go through the post office with their automation. The equipment that you heard about the post office removing, yeah. those were for flats, the big size envelopes, yeah. which we used to mail the ballots in now. Now it's a, a letter size envelope that will go right through the machine. Okay. It'll save us time and money also. And then and we will... Go ahead. How is that signature on the outside of the ballot? How is that verified? Can because, I take that one, Lance? Yeah, I love yeah, this. I love okay. this. Sure. Again, being Professor Fraud. The outside of the envelope, you've got the, the voter's signature. Also on the outside of the envelope is a barcode, which is keyed in to that voter's registration card. So we will have a panel of three judges, mm -hmm. three election judges, no more than two from the same party. So it could be two Democrats, one Republican, two Republicans, one Democrat. They will view on big screen TVs the signature that was on the envelope and put it up against the signature that is on their registration. And then the three judges will decide whether that's a valid signature or not. Okay. 
And then I mean, happen- we, we've been ha- thinking about this stuff. What, no, no. What, then, okay, what happens next? Okay, it goes into the pile of a ver- of a verified, certified ballot. Then what happens? Then they will be run through a, a scanner that will count those. Our voting equipment is an actual scanner that scans the entire ballot. It's not like the old days where it would count the the chairs. Is the or outer is the outer the envelope? Ballot. Is the outer envelope with the signature on it? What happens to that? How do you separate that from the ballot so we have a secret ballot? Well, that's why we pull the ballot out of that envelope. Those envelopes are saved, but then those ballots are commingled. We, we, we have a machine that does that high speed, and then the ballots are taken out, and you can't okay. push, you know, connect them together again. Gentlemen, right. we have to break. It's our last segment coming up. I hope we're, uh, I don't know whether we're confusing people or, or we're making it clearer, but we're trying to make it clear. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. One more segment coming up. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. You wash your hands and brush your teeth every day. But what are you doing to keep your nose clean? After all, it's the body's air filter and the first line of defense against allergens that can make you miserable and germs that can make you sick, sometimes very sick. There's an all-natural way to clean your nose called nasal irrigation, and it's been around for hundreds of years. I'm Martin Hoke, and I invented Navage to make nasal irrigation easy and convenient. Navage flushes out allergens, mucus, and dangerous germs. It uses powered suction to relieve congestion without drugs. Navage is easy to use, it's not expensive, and it comes with this personal promise. Try Navage. If it doesn't help you breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier, just return it for a full, no-questions-asked refund. Over a million sold. Online at Navage.com or at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath, and Target. Make good nasal hygiene your new normal with Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. Tune in to Married with Microphones. We're JT and Leanne. Each week we discuss real life on the radio from the perspective of a 40-something married couple juggling family, careers, today's challenges, and more. Drink. (laughs) Special guests include (laughs) life coach Boo Archer, sports analyst Mike Thompson, fitness experts, and a whole lot more. We even give each other a relationship report card each week. That's always interesting. Married with Microphones, Saturday night at 6 on WCGO. 
Get off your couch and help kids with cancer get to treatment. Compass to Care Childhood Cancer Foundation invites you to join us for our quarantine virtual race for kids with cancer on August 8th. This family-friendly event gives you the chance to walk or run a 1K, 2K, 3K, or 5K anytime or any place. Your registration includes a technical t-shirt, finisher's medal, and drawstring bag. Learn more or make a donation at cancer5k.org. It's JT and Leanne. Join us for Heart and Home with Exit Realty. Local listings, market conditions, and opportunity. Sunday afternoons at 4 on Chicago's Smart Talk. Bruce Mark back. We are here for our last segment. Uh, Doug Dunlap, who's a regular listener, he writes uh, to one of our other listeners, uh, Tom Hagen. I agree it's a mess. But this is not the norm, and each state must make its own rules to protect the sanctity of the ballot. And I think, you know, and again, this is this may be confusing uh, as we've tried to clarify it this evening for you. But, you know, one of the good things is that it is difficult to steal a national election because you've got 50 different uh, uh, states doing it 50 different ways, or not 50 different ways, but a variety of different ways. But if it's close enough, you don't have to steal the national election. No. You can just steal the key states. Well, but you have to predict <laughs> the right county, right? You I mean, have, right. Yeah. It, Derek, you have a question for our guests, which I think is a good one. Go ahead. Well, it's a question that someone put to me, which is, uh, what is the protection against someone voting by mail, say, on a Saturday, and then showing up on their polling place and, and, and voting in person? Uh, and what prevents that and what prevents them from voting twice or, or multiple times? Okay. Professor uh, Fraud. You want to handle that? Professor Fraud. Okay. Uh, actually I'm going to defer this to Lance to say okay. at least what we do in Chicago, which is brilliant. Lance. Okay. We, we know if that ballot has arrived or not. So if somebody comes into the polling place and is trying to vote again, they have to either re, re, uh, surrender their ballot or their absentee will not be counted. So that's so the barcode. You're only right? going to vote once because every every precinct has uh, electronic poll books. So we know in the system if you received one, if you've already got it, if you turned it in. So we can we can make that determination right then and there. And in yeah, Illinois, we have real, if I'm not mistaken, real time online connectivity. We know if somebody's going to try to do that, we can stop them in their tracks. And Here's please a- please clarify this for me as as well. In Illinois, you begin counting uh, mail in votes when they arrive. Is that correct? You don't wait until election day. We can start doing it as I think it's fourteen or fifteen days before election day. We can start processing them. But our equipment, we can't, it, it does not allow us to tabulate the totals until 7 p.m. election night. So right. what, is, what is the difference between processing and tabulation? Processing is the, the, validi- uh, the validation that this is all the, the validation and, and all that, that has to be done ahead of time. OK, but Correct. the actual counting is done on election day. So these are like on put in a day. secure location until, you know, all the election you know votes come in from all the other precincts in the lockboxes, right? Here's a, I want to make this point. Uh, to all of the affiliates that are listening to the program this evening, uh, we are trying to do a service to everybody by explaining the variety of different voting options. But as you can tell, each state is different or may have some changes. So I would hope that each of the affiliates between now and Election Day or the next couple of weeks 
will do a similar show with the experts in your particular state, and they'll do you'll do the same type of show that we're trying to do nationally. Because I think uh, there there is some confusion. I think people uh, the more they talk about, it, and then then when you throw the you know the post office in there, and is the post office going to drag their feet? Are they going to deliver? Do they lose mail? Do they find packs of? I mean, there's all kinds of horror stories about the post office. Here's a practical question that has come in, and Charles, I'm going to ask you this question. This is from uh, Jeff, who listens to us in Palm Springs. He said that uh, the the last time, 20 years ago, when he registered to vote, his signature looked like it did 20 years ago. Mm. And now he's an older man, and he wants to know whether three judges who look at his signature, are they going to be able to say uh, his current signature is is valid when the one that they may have on file might be 20-plus years old? Right. And that, that's a great question. And so the first part of the answer is what you were just saying. There's actually an empirical part of the answer here is an empirical answer that is best gotten by calling up the county election board in, um, in Palm Springs. I forget which county that is in California and ask them what they do. In many places, they do what um, Lance was describing when during the break which is that, and, and I know a lot of places in California do this, that they collect together all the signatures that you have accumulated over the years so that um, with the Department of Motor Vehicles, um, if you've, um, you know, sometimes with other gov- government agencies, so that the signature matching can be with a variety of signatures in front, in, in, in front of the judge. But if you're worried about it, um, I mean, one option, which I'm sure that every place in America would allow you to do, which would be to go down to the elections office and update your signature um, and, and to be okay. certain about that. But um, this is a known problem. I mean, it has to be said that the, the, the problem I hear election officials talk about is kind of the other end of the age spectrum. Kids these days aren't taught how to write cursive. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. And. They're, they're oftentimes registering at the Department of Motor Vehicles by doing, you know, the, the, the finger wag on that on that electronic yes. pen, which looks nothing like you'll ever see anywhere else. And so, I mean, this this is actually a serious issue. It is that, yeah. um, you know, that, you know, you have to deal with. But I would start by calling your elections office and asking them what what the answer is. Well, your point, I mean, you know, voting is serious. It, it, it's the most serious thing I think uh, uh, any citizen can do. And yet. Uh, every year there seems to be some screw up somewhere. And again, we're having a discussion between some experts this evening trying to clarify uh, what appears to be, uh, you know, you know, somewhat a complicated process. Uh, and certain states are reacting one way and certain states are reacting the other. And uh, the political parties are, are trying to make a political decision. My last quick question, and I'm going to ask you, Professor Stewart. In this election, everything that you know right now, do you expect a error-free election day? Error-free? No. Um, What's the margin of error? Yes. Okay. So we will not know who the winner is on election night. Does anybody think we will? I do. Okay. Thanks very much. We're out of time. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to Derek Blakely. Thanks to Jeff Hom. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston, Illinois.
What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime. This is Peggy Malecki on the Smart Talk Radio Network with an important message about coronavirus. As we work to slow the spread of COVID-19, it's also important to take care of our animal companions, have extra food and medication on hand, and create a plan for taking care of your pets if you should get sick. Pet support services are more important than ever. Check with your local shelter or rescue to help them with a donation. Consider fostering or adopting a pet. We're all in this together. Visit humanesociety.org. 